3, verses 16 through 22. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of men and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? These are the words of God. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, worship team. I'm not sure about you guys, but I get ushered into a worship like that, and I just it just wants to overwhelm my heart. I could go on forever like that, wouldn't you? Amen? Thank you, worship team. I thank the living God that he can inhabit the praises of his people, and we can enjoy him in, so nearly in that way. Greetings to you. I'm John Cuppinger. I'm one of the pastors here at Windsor Community. I'm privileged, really, to serve alongside five, four other pastors. There's five of us total. Pastor Dan, Pastor Chris, Pat, and Jason. You saw him earlier. Um, I'm one of the pastors here that, uh, that has a job otherwise. And so I, I'm fully occupied in a, in a career and spend most of my time there. That's why you don't see me up here very often. Um, but it is truly an honor and privilege to serve in this church, to, to worship God in that way. And uh, largely my role is to, is to lead uh, people through the biblical distinctives class, uh, serve on the pastor board, pray for these men, and, and on occasion be able to, to bring the word. And, and I pray that uh, God would attend it this morning. Uh, it's not, I'm not the practiced guy up here, but I'm, the, I'm, I'm one who, I do love the word. I love to read his word. I love to study. I love to, to discuss it with my wife. Although I, th- I think that uh, maybe... Maybe I'm not the best one to discuss. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I love to discuss the word with my wife, and I, I love to, uh, to discuss it with my sons and my daughters as well. So, um, so greetings to you. I pray that uh, you got here. It looks like everybody got here safely this morning, the first service. I told them, you know, you should always make sure you check realm when there's bad weather like that because if, you, if it were 18 inches of snow, you know, then we might not do the first service. But I think we'll always do the second one. I mean, I think anyway. Now, I know that there was some snow. I worked with some people in, in, in uh, Portland, and they literally had that much snow, and they shut down the whole town, the, and uh, schools are closed and all that. But we're, not, we're more robust than that here, are we not? <laughs> A little bit, maybe. Um, but uh, thankfully, you all got here safe. Um, I'm going to open up in prayer. Mm, Lord God, I just pray that you would... Mm, be with your people here, God, that uh, all these dear souls have come 
by hook and by crook, they've come here, whether they're visitors, whether they're, uh, they're members here, God, that uh, I pray that you would meet them in this place, that by your spirit and by your word, you would enliven their hearts towards yourself. Instruct us in your ways, I pray this morning, God, in, the, in this, this challenging book of Ecclesiastes and this, uh, this, this crazy guy, Solomon, God, who brings the teaching. I pray, God, that you would, you would uh, instruct us and, and improve us uh, in your sight. Help us to serve you better, to love you more, and to, and to do more and more uh, in terms of good works in this world uh, as, a, as a means to please you and bless others. And so, Thank you that you attend with us in our worship, God, and, and that you are here, and, and that you are here to, to meet your people. And so I pray this in your precious name. Amen. All right, so uh, I suppose for most of you, if you've been here, you've been listening to uh, us as we march through the first part of Ecclesiastes. We've been, you know, now we're finishing up chapter three. So Dan has done an excellent job. I've, it's been a, a privilege for me to sit under his teaching and to hear, hear him open uh, uh, chapters one and two. And then last week, Pat brought the first part of, uh, of chapter three and, and how... Uh, how that has ministered to my soul. I pray that it's ministered to you too. Now, Ecclesiastes to me is, uh, is a book that stands somewhat as, a, as an enigma among the books of the Bible. It's similar to Job. And if you were here a little over a year ago, we were studying through the book of Job too. And so these books, it can be a bit confusing at times and, and, and a little bit hard to understand. But this book seems to have a, a bold purpose to intersect us in ways that other books do not. It is very real, very raw, and bold to instruct us, to declare to us the, the meaning of life. From the perspective of a person who has vast wealth, supernatural wisdom, and great and far-reaching power. So if you, you heard the, the verses this morning as Lori uh, spoke them so eloquently so how can this section of Ecclesiastes meet us today? How can these couple verses contribute to our understanding of the meaning of life from God's perspective? What are we to live for in this life? What are we living for? But before we get into the passages for the day, I want to take a jet tour, and it is a jet tour. It's going to be fast. But we're going to look at some of the key inflection points in the life of the author Solomon, who's a son of David and king in Jerusalem. In 1 Kings chapter 3, we see that the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And he says, and he, he, and he says to Solomon, ask, what shall I give you? What an amazing thing for Solomon to hear. Solomon replies to the Lord and he, with, with great reverence. And he's, he's in awe and he replies and he, just, he declares to God that, that he is the Lord. And, that, and, and, and thanks God that God has shown David mercy and kindness. And now that that kindness extends to himself. And so, and so he, he's preparing his heart 
And, and, but, but at the time, Solomon, you must understand that Solomon was a young guy at the time. Some people say that he was 15 years old, some as old as 20, but it doesn't matter. Somewhere in that range, he was young and he felt as though he was not up to the task to lead and judge this great nation. There's millions of people. God's people. So Solomon responds to God with this in mind. And he says, therefore, just simply give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may be able to discern between good and evil. Wow, I'm impressed. The Lord too, he was pleased that he had not, that, that he hadn't asked for long life He didn't ask for riches and fame. He didn't seek the vengeance upon the nations that surround many times were enemy nations. So the Lord instantaneously beams to Solomon, a wise and understanding heart. He said, see, see, you have it. Boom. So that there's, so that there, excuse me here. Therefore, he says, Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place in the notes. Here it is. So that there has not been anyone like you before, nor will anyone arise like you after you. This man will have supernatural wisdom that will transcend anybody else. Except for the Lord, of course. Later in in the New Testament, we, we hear the one greater than Solomon has come, right? So we know who the true wisdom is. And the Lord gives him also something that he doesn't ask for. He said, both riches and honor are, are there also for you, so that you shall, shall not be anyone like you among all the kings of your days. So now, in addition to this great wisdom, he gives him riches and honor. And the Lord further says to Solomon, so if you walk in my ways... And keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked. See, he always refers to his father David. I find that very interesting because God, there was a love affair like none other between David and God. Now, David, now keep in mind, David wasn't a perfect man, right? He had many faults, failures. But you know what he's known for? It's just that he loved God and that he would repent. He is the model of repentance for all of us. But he says, so follow my commandments as your father David did, and I will then lengthen your days too. See, this last part, the long life, was conditional on Solomon's fidelity to the Lord. Now Solomon had many exploits between now and, and where we pick up next. So he was really wise and he was active. He was, in, he was very... Uh, ingenious in terms of his inventions. He, he developed water systems and reservoirs, orchards and vineyards. He built buildings, big buildings. He built his own house and outbuildings. And he built the temple, the house for God in, in Jerusalem. And in addition to that, he made alliances with all the surrounding nations. And he established with them peaceful and profitable relationships. So this, was, this changed the whole paradigm. Instead of being at war with everybody and the, the nations being against each other, he, he would go out and he'd establish relationships with them, peaceful relationships, so profitable. And, 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 from, from, and he would get from these nations tribute 
each year. They were so pleased to, to be associated with Solomon. They were so convinced of his supernatural wisdom that they would pay tribute each year. So profitable that in one year, the tributes in gold alone amounted to over 800,000 ounces. I put that in our terms today so we could actually understand because we talk about gold in ounces. They talk about in different, in different uh, numbers. 800,000 ounces in gold alone. And in today's money, that would be over a billion dollars. Then Solomon went, up, went about to dedicate the house of the Lord. Such vast wealth that he had accumulated, that the peace offering that he, that he put forward to consecrate the house of the Lord amounted to 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. Um, it's hard for me to imagine a sacrifice on that scale. But not what all was going well in paradise. In 1 Kings now, dial the clock forward, in 1 Kings chapter 9, the Lord appeared to Solomon again. This is his second time. And this time the Lord comes with a little bit different tone. As he must see that the dangers that Solomon is facing and also the, the emerging condition of Solomon's heart. So the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David, your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for not my name, I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss and they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this to this land and to this house. They will say because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold of other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. Now, David was so renowned among all the nations. He was revered for his supernatural wisdom even the Queen of Sheba would come and came, came from far away. I think it was probably from the land like near about Ethiopia. She had heard of him and his renown. So she comes and of course she brings all these riches and, 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 and such uh, 120 talents of gold and spices. Spices had never even been heard of before. She brings truckloads of these things. And she, and she, tests Solomon. She starts to ask him all the hard questions that she had no answers for. And he answered all of them with ease. And she said about him, he says, you know, I heard about you. 
We all heard about you. But now that I know you, they weren't saying half of it. So impressive was this man that, that, that people would come from, they would gladly just pile the riches at his feet. But remember God's foreboding appearance to Solomon, right? Things were not playing out as Solomon was growing older. You see, over time, he had accumulated some 700 wives and 300 concubines. And I often say in jest, you know, I don't know how he did it because I have one and that's all I can handle. (laughs) But here, Solomon, he's taking on a lot. He's, He's accumulating wealth and influence and power and he's delving into the lusts of, of, his, of, of life. You see, the Lord had commanded the children of Israel not to intermarry with the, with, with the people of foreign nations. For he says, surely they will turn your hearts away after their gods. But Solomon did, paid it no heed. And he clung to his wives, the scripture says, in love. So apparently... Solomon came to love his wives more than he loved God. Solomon was not loyal to the Lord as God ultimately. He worshiped the foreign gods of his wives. He went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. And he did likewise with all the other uh, foreign, uh, gods of foreign, his foreign wives. He would go and bring sacrifices, establish high places, places of worship. So the Lord naturally became angry with Solomon. In 1 Kings 11, we see what he says. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give you one tribe, one tribe to your son. For the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. And we know what happened here. After he dies, he dies shortly thereafter. Thus it comes to pass that the nation of Israel becomes a divided kingdom. There's a northern kingdom, ten tribes to the north, two to the south, Benjamin and Judah to the south. And ultimately, the ten tribes of the north, they're lost, they're gone. Not a thing, not a, not a, not a remain left of them. Just as he had said. We do not know when Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, though in the span of his life, a little bit perplexing, whether it was prior to his heart turning away from the Lord or, or after. Sadly, there's no mention in 1 Kings or otherwise if Solomon ever repented and turned back to the Lord before he died. I tend to think he did. I want that he did. I want this to be a story of, of redemption, of return to the Lord and redemption. But there's no, no document in Scripture that definitively says that that's so. But this is some of the backdrop to where we are in Ecclesiastes today, right? With this of what happened to Solomon in mind, let us head into the passages that we have for the day. With a key question in mind, let's have this. What is the meaning of this life? 
and what am I living for? Now, the first verses that we have, the first two, Ecclesiastes 3, 16 and 17, I'll read them. Again, it says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. And there is a time for every matter and for every work. I was doing a little Bible study with my son, Ben. Sits over here the other day. And the topic of justice came up. And I said that even a little child is born with a natural desire for justice, right? And I can still hear the words reverberating in my house and down the hallways as one kid's running down the hallway. He's being mean to me, right? As the older son would be harassing and picking on the younger brother. It is common to hear even a child, even a young child, say that something isn't fair. They inherently want justice. But then Ben was kind of squashed as he was quick to point out. He says, you know, the child, their view of fair is, is, is pretty much self-centered though, right? And I said, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Solomon is saying here that fair is not going to be a consistent experience for us under the sun on this earth. Those who rule over us many times are corrupted by self-interests, power, profit, or whatever else. Kelly and I are watching a uh, PBS television series that is cast in the late 1700s in, the, in, in Wales, so England, Wales. And one of the most familiar lines that we hear repeated over and over, and we laugh every time it comes up, and I'll see if I can get the accent right. Taint fair. No, I'm sorry. Let me start over. Taint right. Taint fit. Taint fair. The lives of these people are constantly encountering the various corruptions of man, mostly from those who are in power or authority and can impose their will on another. Over and over, those who have money seek power and more money and more power and have no concern for the weak, the downtrodden, the poor, the sick. These are just pawns to be used to further build their empire, such as it is in our world. And Pat preached last week on the first part of Ecclesiastes 3, and we were told that God is sovereign over all the times and events of man. There is a time for everything, and whatever he does cannot be altered. He's in control. He's sovereign. He has a plan and a purpose for everything under the sun. He prescribes times for good and times for bad. Many times we can wonder, is it fair when good people suffer? Have you ever asked that question? The evil person prospers, lives long and healthy. While the one who loves the Lord can suffer illness, disease, death. And we can also, we can suffer loss of jobs. We can endure financial hardships. We can be the victim of crime or of hate or of discrimination. You know, it seems that God's people suffer many ills. The evil seem to prosper. The rich get richer. But we have a great consolation that the Lord is sovereign over all of it. 
We know our God knows us. He is in control. He is good and he loves us. We know that as, as Pat said last week, God does it all. He allows all this so we will fear him. You see, for us who have our lives bound up with him, it is through the trials that we experience his love, his comfort, his promises, and his faithfulness. He rules from above the sun. From his place of rule, he will see to it that everything ultimately is judged rightly. He will judge the righteous and the wicked. Isaiah 10, 1 says, 10, 1 and 2 says this, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Our great consolation is he will put everything right one day, for there is a time for every purpose and every work, he says. Now, several weeks ago, I was reading the news and there was a news story about a young man who was afflicted with a disease that had no remedy. Below the neck was a heavy rash. He looked normal on his face and above, but below here was a heavy rash. His skin was deeply cracked and and his hands were bound up because it was as though the the flesh would fall, fall right off of him. It was a terrible state for him. And I read some of the comments to that story. Some people rightly expressed compassion and prayers for the young man. Several judged very harshly that this is proof that there is no God. Their view was that no God would allow such a thing to happen. You see, what drives us closer and near to our Lord serves just the opposite for those who don't have the knowledge of God in their hearts. For them, all this chaos, the apparent chaos that they perceive, just further proof that there is no God. But we know better. I'm going to move to the next verses, verses 18 through 21. Not sure how you received these when you heard them pretty interesting stuff. This is where this is where Solomon is what I call bold and real and maybe even a little bit he comes at us sideways. He says, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and no man has advantage over the beasts. And I shouldn't say that. I said, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust they return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So what's the preacher's point here? What's his perspective Surely we know, we're all accustomed to this, that when we die or an animal dies, that the flesh and bone, it decomposes and returns to, the, returns to the dust, right? We all know that. But he's talking about more than that here. 
The preacher knows that the spirit of man lives for eternity. From last week, he says this, he has set eternity in our hearts. And later in Ecclesiastes, borrowing from a future passage, in Ecclesiastes 12, the preacher says, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Quick excerpt out of Psalm 8, verse 5, declares, you have made them, he made us, a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. So if man has no advantage over the animals, then it is because they have put all their hopes and dreams and desires and values in the things under the sun. Those that live by sense alone and only by the sight of their eyes, by the things that they can understand by way of the things that they see and experience, they're missing out on the very reason we were created in the first place. As ones who are created in the very image of God, we are to walk with him, to hear him, to to feel him. To live for the one we cannot see with a sure hope to live forever in the place that is above the sun with him. Now, for those that are only, that live only for the things under the sun, Psalm 49 says it this way. It's interesting. This is the perspective of the, of the one who doesn't know God or put his trust in God. It says, their inner thought is that their houses will last forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands by their own names. But nevertheless, though they be in honor, they do not remain. He is like the beast that perish. You see, they put, for the one who puts their stock in the stuff of this earth, of, 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 of this earth, ultimately are cut off. The person who thinks and believes and lives as though this world is all there is. All that they live for, all that they hope for. And then all this simply evaporates when they die. All the things that he lives for are lost to him when he dies. There's nothing lasting for the person who lives only for the things under the sun. So, it's how they're similar to the animals, right? Now, there used to be a t-shirt that went around. I used to see it often. I'm not sure if I see it anymore. Maybe it's years ago. But have you ever seen the t-shirt that says, he who dies with the most toys wins? You ever seen that one? The preacher says that that's utter vanity. Every person that cares for only the body and only for the worldly pleasures and desires and not his eternal soul makes himself no better than the common animal. For everything that person sets his heart upon and put his, puts his confidence in for happiness will evaporate like the mist. It is vanity to the utmost. There is no eternal glorious inheritance for such as these. Their future is cut off. Psalm 37 says this, Wait on the Lord, keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you, will see, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power 
and spreading himself like a flourishing, like a native green tree. Yet he passed away and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. So in contrast to living like the animal in a purely sensual world, for us, there is eternal hope. There is an eternal inheritance for those who put the Lord first in their lives. So the question remains, what are you living for? This next verse finishes out our verses for today. Ecclesiastes 3.22 says, So I saw that there is nothing better that a man than, than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Now this is much the same as, the, as one of the verses from last week. And in fact, this same passage in one form or another exists six times in Ecclesiastes. The preacher the preacher is essentially saying the same thing over and over. And elements of what he says are this. I'm just going to break it down. I need simple. And so I'm going to give you a simple breakdown of, of, what, this, of what this is saying. The work that we have to do and the ability to enjoy the good of our work is a gift from God. In chapter 9, the last time this is referenced, he actually commands us to enjoy the fruits of our labor with a merry heart. Secondly, he emphasizes, it's, it's a little bit subtle, but he emphasizes work. It's in every one of them. He never says not to work. So in case you wanted to try to come to the conclusion from Ecclesiastes that your work is unimportant and you don't have to do it, not. Work is important. It's central to this whole thing. But our works should be good. What we do and how we do it should be done to be pleasing to Him. Also, the things under the sun are all subject to change. You've heard it described over and over in Ecclesiastes so far. We will see and experience both good and bad in our days. I call it puts and takes. Some days I get the good stuff some days I don't. But it is not in spite of this, but rather because of it, that we're supposed to take joy in the good gifts that he gives for us. Just as there is a time or season for everything, so too he commends us to be happy in what he has given to us. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says it like this. I feel like he's in the hip pocket of Solomon at this time. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to set your hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul and Solomon understood this. You see, with our 
hope centered in the Lord, we are to abound in good works and we are to receive and enjoy all the good gifts that come to him. That's our passages for today, but I want to do a quick jet tour through some of the high points before we get into the application. So just to review, God is sovereign over all the events of our days. He brings both good and bad so that we will worship him. We will be comforted and strengthened and nourished by walking with him, by walking in his ways. We also know that the life of the natural man who lives only for the things of this world, walking by the natural sight is compared to being that like an animal. All the things that he lives for are completely lost to him when he dies. That is vanity. The person who loves the Lord and pleases him has the hope and promise of eternal life with him. And this is what we should be living for. And we are to be diligent and rich in good works during our days under the sun. Now going back to where we started, where did we start today? We're talking about Solomon, the story of Solomon. How he was, how he was the Lord's how he was gifted, and, but then ultimately went down the wrong path. You might wonder, was Solomon really a wise man? He had a heart for the Lord, his God, for much of his life. In the Proverbs, he wrote not only of practical wisdom or how to rightly discern the matters of men, but he wrote of transcendent wisdom. Wisdom that is born from a true knowledge of God. Born by faith in that which, which resides in the depths of the heart. A couple of excerpts out of Proverbs show this. It says Proverbs 1 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And this next one perplexes me to no end. And this is the same man, Solomon, who wrote this. Proverbs 4. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the, the springs of life. The same man wrote that as the man who went away from God. Proverbs 23 says this, Let your heart not envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Makes me wonder what went wrong. How could Solomon, of all men, fall? In our lesson today, we see that Solomon was the wise preacher. And at the same time, he's the one who failed. Who turned away from the Lord and worshipped other gods. He fell for the world and all of its allures. Riches and fame, power and influence lust for many women. Solomon became enamored by power, success, and wealth, 
in the love of his many wives. This should serve as a warning for believers today. The state of our relationship with the Lord is of crucial importance. We must be cautious and careful about the pursuit of and and how we manage worldly success and pleasures. We must be careful to avoid spiritual compromise and be all the more diligent, rather, and focus on to be rich in good works. We need to be careful about the pursuit of riches, the pursuit of stuff, the pursuit of pleasures. Here it is, that these things, they ought to be the fruit of, of a faithful relationship with the Lord, not the chief aim of our lives. You see, Jesus said it like this in in John chapter 10. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Please realize what the preacher says that earthly riches and stuff are fleeting and temporary. And they can also be a snare and can ultimately be the source of defeat or failing. But spiritual riches, they can come in an unending and unlimited supply. Philippians 4 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. In Christ, we have a rich estate. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to, abound, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Amen. Thank God. And He has saved us by grace through the work of Christ. In Ephesians, in Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Wow. For grace you have been saved through faith. And this isn't your own doing. It was a gift. I prefer this gift, by the way, to the one that Solomon got. This is a gift that leads to everlasting life. This is not the result of work that anyone may boast. We have riches of his glory. Ephesians 3 says that that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length in height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God. You see, God said this, Jesus said this in, in the New Testament. He says, I came that you may have life and may have it abundantly. Now, as we kind of get into closing up or wrapping up here, I want to give you an illustration about, about my family. <laughs> my boys are all here. So they're going to all nod and they're going to, oh yeah, I know what he's talking about. So you know, as a dad, you, as a parent, many of you here, you love your kids. You want to impart some things of truth to them. Your desire is that they would, that they would live wisely, 
that they'd live well, that they would live long, that they would prosper. And so kind of as a part of worldly wisdom, I remember being out in the garage. We used to do lots of little projects. We'd get out the saws and to- things and start cutting and sawing. And we'd, do, we'd engage in, in some of the dangerous tools to chainsaws. We'd go four-wheeling, really dangerous stuff. We'd go hunting. We'd go shooting. And so it was really important for me to impart some things so that they not die, right? You know, guy, young men, nuts. So, so you might think this is a little boring, but I gave him the one, two, three. You guys know what this is, right? You could get it right up here and you could preach it. <laughs> so I gave him the one, two, three. I said, first thing that you must always do, no matter what, the principle of, uh, principle of your life is whatever you do, be safe. Safety's first. Have you ever heard that before? Blah, blah, blah. It's boring. No, it's not. It's important. Okay? Safety first. Whatever you do, make sure you don't kill anybody. Right? Hurt yourself. Damage property. Be safe. And the second thing was to whatever you do, it's really important that you do it well. That you do it with excellence. Right? Don't be dorking around, doing things halfway. Uh Uh-uh. That's not the way to be like a child of God. So you, you do things well. Number three is what they wanted to get to all along, right? What was number three? Have fun, right? With, with one and two in place, knock yourself out. Tear it up. So, but the Ecclesiastes has, a, has an analogy to this. The wisdom of Ecclesiastes is very similar. There's a one, two, three. The number one of Ecclesiastes is this. What's number one? Fear God. Love God. Put him first. That's the number one. Nothing else matters if you don't got one. Number two from Ecclesiastes is walk in his ways. You heard the command. He wants you to walk in his ways. Do good things, right? It's, it's every time, Solomon, the six times, every time was that your works always be good. The number two is good works. Do good, no matter what you do. Fear God, love God, Him first, walk in His ways, do good. What's the number three? I hope you know it. Enjoy, exactly, enjoy. It's exactly what, what my number three was. Now, knock yourself out. Tear it up. Have fun. Enjoy your life as a Christian. He gave it for you to enjoy. It's your lot in life. But you can't do that first. If that's one, it's all wrong. You flipped it. It's, 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 it's corrupted bad. It's going to lead to bad stuff. Let us then, that regardless of how much that we have of this world's stuff and the pleasures we enjoy under the sun, that we should recognize that our whole life is a treasure given by God and to be lived unto Him with good works. I'm going to close in prayer now. And uh, the worship team can come back up here in a few minutes. But uh, let's just close off here. Lord God, I thank you that your word 
is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you for the wisdom of Solomon. And I know that someday when we get to go into eternity to be with you, we're going to get answers that we don't have today about this man. I pray, God, that you'd help us to apply the, the lesson of Solomon to our own lives. God, that this world, the things of this world, the lusts of this world, the pleasures, the good th- things that are not inherently altogether necessarily evil can lead us astray from you. They can become what we focus on. And I pray, God, for the souls here, that each soul that ventured out into the icy cold today, down the treacherous roads, <laughs> that you brought them here to hear that they, that they need to put you first, always. And so, God, I pray that you would enliven our hearts to do that. That you give us the power and the strength to live in your ways, to put you first and enjoy the great fruits that you have given for us to enjoy. But it has to be by you. So, God, I I pray that your Holy Spirit, that the work of Christ be so applied to the souls here, God, that they would live the abundant life. And so it is, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Stand and close our service together.